how am I supposed to say anything now? <laughs> wow. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> it's as bad as it's been, God has been so good and to surround us with such great church family and a community has been, um, I keep saying, humbling and definitely overwhelming. And so um, just thank every one of you for your prayers and support. And um, yeah. <laughs> wow, I was, was going to be excited. Now I'm like <laughs> crying. But that race, I just, that was incredible. And we definitely know that was just something God could only do and, and, um, and use for sure. But to think a few months ago, we sat talking like, okay, how are we going to do a race? Like, it's the hardest time of our life. We have no time. Like, how are we even going to plan this? Are we going to have enough help? Is anyone even going to come? <laughs> you know? And then there was yesterday. And so um, it was just absolutely incredible and um, definitely something only God could do. And so I just want to thank every one of you that had any part, whether it was just by being there or um, the ones who worked so tirelessly to help us pull that off. So thank you so much. And I just want to start off by giving an update on how Joel is doing. Um, three weeks ago yesterday, he just all of a sudden came down with a, a cold, and it was just congestion, um, a cough, and a low-grade fever. And so... Um, Took him, you know, they always say, as best as we can, keep him away, keep him from getting sick. But as we know, it happens. And he did, and he did good um, getting over it. Um, he had to get on oxygen just for an extra support because his oxygen levels were low. Well, come two weeks, and we're trying to wean him off of daytime oxygen, and it's not happening. Um, his, it was, um, they were just too low, and so... Um, he had no more symptoms of the cold, so our doctor in Colorado was like, let's just go get an x-ray. Let's just, even though he's on antibiotics, let's try to rule out pneumonia and then go from there because um, with Joel, you have to be very aggressive. So we went in and um, did a chest x-ray, and Dr. Benoit there said, um, he, by him even looking at it, he couldn't see anything. His lungs looked great, looked clear, um, but he even noticed his heart was enlarged um, a little more on the right side, and his liver was now... Um, swollen, um, enlarged, uh, like he said, four centimeters. So, um, you know, we left that appointment, immediately get in touch with our doctors in Colorado, and um, they're just so great and so prompt about responding. Well, it took them a little while to get back with me, like a few hours. And so I called Josh. I'm like, I know I'm not supposed to be anxious. I know what God says about not worrying, but it's, it's not going to be good news because they were talking with each other, talking with the doctor. So um, I knew something would be up. And so um, they they call back, and it was like two nurses on a um, conference call. So then it's like, great. <laughs> no. So um, they said that, um, you know, like Dr. Benoit said, the, his right side has more fluid. So just from a small cold, it put way too much strain on his heart, and it's overworking. And that's why he was having trouble um, keeping his oxygen levels up. So they put him on an extra dose of Lasix, which helps flush some of that fluid out, and um, we're watching him from there. But then they started to tell us that we go Wednesday to Texas Children's, and that's where they locally do a, um, an exam, do an echo on his heart, do some blood work. And after that appointment, 
the doctors will talk again, and we may be going to Colorado. We weren't supposed to go till December, but we may be going sooner to do a heart catheteriza catheterization, which was what they did when he was diagnosed, and um, just get better pictures of the heart. And also to do, and I might be pronouncing it wrong, but a sep. I can't hear you. T, I was having my sister-in-law help me out. But it's a, um, <laughs> I couldn't see, hear what she was saying. It's just a procedure where they make, he already has a um, hole in his heart. And that's where it helps when it gets too much pressure. Some of the pressure comes out of there. And they think by enlarging that a little bit, it would help some of the pressures that he has. And um, also will buy us time before we have to talk about transplant again. So nothing comes, you know, everything comes with a hard blow, but it's never God always kind of nudges us and prepares us kind of before. So that's just what we're facing right now. And so um, that's what you can pray about, um, just his upcoming appointment, that God would just do a miracle before then. Um, but then just whatever things we have to face, that he would be with us and he'd be with him. So that is an update on how, where we're at right now. So obviously he can't get sick again right now, um, but we're not in control of that. And... Um, Josh kind of was saying I could share some of the things that I've learned this year. I don't have enough time. <laughs> like, I would be here for a really long time. Because me just saying we're not in control of that, that I didn't even plan on speaking about this. But um, I just realized how much I tried to hold on to things. And I'm not even in control of those things. So, so many fears that I had had, God has dealt with. And I definitely have not arrived at still dealing with, like, things I worry over. I can't control anyway, and he's in control, so I just have to release those things. And obviously my son's life was something I had held on to but have no control over. So, um, and like Pastor Bob was saying, like I know a lot of people are like, y'all are so strong, and I'm really not at all. And so um, if you knew me before, I can freak out, freak out over little things pretty quickly. So that's why I know that God is... Um, been a strength and a help and given us so much grace in this time because uh, I'm not really strong and um, I do struggle and like I said I do have fears and um, like I was saying before when we were talking about maybe he has pneumonia and I, I knew if he didn't then it wouldn't be good I did I got anxious that day I was those few hours I was just anxious even though I know not to so I do struggle and I do have um, the same some of the same fears that you struggle with but then so how do I get from struggling and fear and not being a living in a basket case crawled a, on, in a ball on the floor dealing with the stuff that we have to do with? How do I get from point A to trusting God? And just what he's done in me and shown me is um, I just have to choose to trust him. Um, on days when I want relief, and because the Bible talks about this, this um, life is just uh, the struggle and the suffering is light and momentary. But in all honesty, some days it feels heavy and that it's lasting forever and that the weight of the world just feels like it's on my shoulders. And, um, but in that moment, I have to choose to trust him. And um, on the days that I cry and beg for relief, that I have to know that he's enough and that um, his grace is sufficient. It's what, he, what Paul said, even in the midst of struggling and sufferings, his grace is sufficient. And... Um, it's a lot easier to say, but it's a lot harder to do. But on those days when it just seems overwhelming, I just have to throw myself harder, lean harder on him. And that 
as much as he is faithful, it is a choice that I have to choose to do that because if I didn't, it would be, it would be bad. <laughs> I would be a wreck. Um, and it's nothing special of myself. I just have to constantly, whether it's, you know, definitely daily, but if not hourly, reminding myself of who he is and that not him plus anything else, not him plus security, not him plus um, control, just him, that he's enough and that he's sufficient. And just like the song said, um, kind of probably paraphrasing because now I can't remember, but nothing can um, separate us. That's not what it was, but not even death. Like I have him, not even death can take away what I have in him. And so um, I just have to choose to trust him. And though, although God isn't the author of suffering and evil, he, he will, he is a God who uses that. And in Isaiah 43, 1 and 2, it says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, and though the river, sorry, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. So if you notice, it says, when you pass through the water. So whatever you're facing, whatever those things are, it's not, it's not small in God's eyes. It's not small in your eyes if you can't compare sufferings. But um, when you go through the waters, when you go through those hard times, because it's not if they're coming, if they haven't already met you in your life yet. And you'll go through rivers, and they're not going to overwhelm you, though. And you will walk through fire. But the promises you won't be burned, and the reason why they won't be, you won't be burned or consume you, it said it in the um, beginning. I will be with you, and we might go through, we will go through the sufferings and the hardships. But the only thing that has kept us is that He is with us, and I just want to encourage you that with that, no matter what you are facing, He is with you, and He just wants you to lean on Him and rely on Him for that strength and that help. And um, Tim Keller said, suffering can refine us rather than destroy us because God himself, walk, God himself walks with us in the fire. And that has just been the difference because we face, we face the fire. Some days it feels like daily, but he's been with us. So oh, wow. thank you. I, uh, I have a gift of a wife, and she is a gift to me and to our church and to so many people, and just to see God do what he's doing in, in her life and in our life together. Um, you know, suffering um, ultimately can destroy marriages or strengthen them. We've just chosen the latter. And um, I just want to say, on the, first off, Zach, I love you, man. I love you. And um, Pastor Bella, Miss Tracy, thank you all so much for just the continued um, encouragement. Uh, our staff, Miss Bridget and Andrew and Zach and our elders uh, have walked with us through this and have been such a source of encouragement along with you, but they've been near and dear to our hearts and uh, have walked with us through some really dark days. I walk into the office and they know what kind of day it is. And they've just been a gift to Lindsay and I. And I just want to say thank you all for being a source of strength to us. And then for the church and then for everyone else outside of that. Thank you. Um, this, this event that happened yesterday was uh, not because of me or Lindsay or Joel. It was because of what God did through us. 
as a people, as a community. It wasn't an individual. It was a group. And uh, many people recognize that. So would you give yourself a hand for all that you did through that? Just so you know, we don't have the final figures in, but I think we raised over $100,000. So I'm going to do everything I can within my power not to cry. Um, I don't show emotion too much. Um, but it's something about this stage, and when I preach and share this stuff, it just makes me all emotional. Um, but I ain't promised anything, but we're going to try not to. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4? That's where we're going to be for the majority of our time today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, back in January, when, I got, when, when Joel got diagnosed with PH, and we were in the hospital all of the month of January, this chapter spoke more to me than any other chapter in the Bible. And so I, I, I thought, uh, back in March, I shared a message called Unshaken, and I would encourage you to go back and listen to it if you haven't listened to it, and we shared about the kind of the core truths of how we could stand unshaken in the midst of all this. So I thought, man, how can I, how can I top that? Not that I have to top that, but how, how can I continue to share on what really is the core of who we are? And I thought, man, it'd be great to expound on suffering just in general. The truth is, is that all of you are, if you're not suffering currently, you will suffer eventually. It's inevitable. Your family will die. We pray that it's not early, but they will die. As Pastor Bill shared, we had two funerals this week. Um, we had a couple of people that had miscarriages this week. That's this week. And guess what? None of those were expected. You know a storm's not expected, right? It comes through, and it destroys. And you can't escape it, and you shouldn't be surprised by it. It's a part of living in a fallen world. It's living in a fallen world is that there's sin in the world and there's things that are broken and there's death and disease. And it's not the way God created it, but it's the world that we live in. And so uh, what I want to share today is really, I thought, you know what? If there's anything that I, if I could share something on suffering, it would be this. I want to give you a firm foundation for when that day comes. I've said it before, every one of us are one phone call away from our lives being changed forever. You're one phone call away from your life just changing like that. So here's the question that I want to kind of, here's really what I want to do today is, I want to prepare you for that phone call. Can I do that? Because I find that most people don't understand, well, I'll put it this way. I found that the, one of the main reasons why people lose their faith in God is because of suffering. If you go and you talk to people who don't serve God, a lot of times they don't serve God because they go, I can't serve a God who, and then you fill in the blank, and it's usually something that's bad that's happened in their life, something that's happened close to them. There's something that's gone on in suffering that has caused them to doubt that there's a good God and that God even exists. But then can I even say this on the flip side? I have found more people who have found their faith in Christ and have put their faith in Christ because of suffering. So here's the question. How can some people go through suffering and it destroys them, and other people go through suffering and it draws them close? And here's the answer, and this is where I want to go to today. It's all about how you deal with the suffering. It's all about the direction of where your heart goes when suffering comes. The way that you deal with suffering will determine whether you're going to have a hard heart towards God or a soft heart towards God. Whether you're going to be compassionate or whether you're not going to be. Whether you're going to be haughty or humble. 
So today I want to deal with this, and I want to give you a firm foundation. If I could tell you this, if I could say that I, have, uh, I could offer you a way that day by day you could be renewed in your soul with hope and strength and life, how many would say, give me some? How many would say, I'm good, don't give me that? <laughs> okay? That's my plan today. I want to give you something that every day you can, have, you can wake up every day, no matter what is going on in your life, and have renewed hope, strength, and life and joy in your life and walk through hell. So here we go. You ready? Buckle up. All right. So we're going to go. We're going to move fast, but we're going to go through. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I want to give you the first thing uh, about suffering and how God uses suffering. Number one, suffering displays God's strength through my weakness. Suffering displays God's strength through my weakness. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. We're going to put this up on the screen so you can see it. We're going to read this together. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. It says this. It says, but we, everybody say, but we, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to, come on, you're going to preach with me today, okay, belongs to God and not to Belongs to God and not to us. You know, in our society, most people subscribe to this fact, and this is the fact, that the proof that God loves you is that he doesn't let you go through terrible things. That's, the, that's what our society uh, thinks is the truth, that if God loves you, you don't go through stuff. I'm telling you, most people think that. They think, oh, well, if he's got cancer, he caused it somehow, right? Something you did in this life or a present, uh, past life, if you go into other religions, there's something that you did that caused this disease or caused this debt or caused this death or caused this, that God doesn't love you because you're going through stuff. But I, can I just tell you this? One of the things that we're going to find out is that's definitely not the, not the case. Because here's what we like to do. We like to cover up our weaknesses. We like to hide them. But God likes to expose them. Because in his exposing, I want to show you this. Let's, let's look in verse 8 and 9. Verse 8 and 9. This is Paul now. He's saying we have this treasure, this gospel of Christ, of who he is, in jars of clay. That means they can break and they're brittle. And it says that we have the surpassing to show. This is why. It's to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Verse 8. And he, now he's going to list out some things that he's gone through. He says, listen, we're afflicted. That means we, we got pressure. In our life, it's hard. And he says, we're, we are afflicted in every way, but we're not what? We're not crushed. We are perplexed. How many of you look at situations you're in and just like, I can't figure this thing out. I, don't, I can't wrap my mind around it. They did too. But he says, but, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We are struck down, but we are not destroyed. See, People say that God might, must not love you. Look what he's letting you go through. Paul said this, God must love me. Look what he's letting me go through. Do you see the difference? Our people say, okay, God must not love you. You're going through all this hell. Paul says, I'm going through hell. God must love me. And we've said it, and it's been very weird, and people look at us very weird, and we say, you know what, we're honored to carry this. We're honored. Would we want it? No. But we are honored that God would allow us to walk through suffering for his namesake. Because it shows our weakness, but beyond showing our weakness, it shows his strength. 
It shows his strength. And here's the truth. God cannot show his strength in your life if you're not weak. How can God show his strength in your life when you're always strong? It's your strength then. It's not his strength. And what God does a lot of times is he's allow suffering to come through just to show you just how weak you actually are. And, and, and in all of that, it's not a matter of us realize, it's, it's us coming really just to the realization that we're not as strong as we think we are. You know, any of y'all have like your children and they're like, oh, dad, I'm strong. And you know, you give them something real light and they pick it up and you're like, you're really strong? Okay. And then you give them something, you know, you give them like a jug of like five gallon jug of milk, you know, to your two year old. And you're like, uh-huh. you know, you're like, you're not as strong as you think you are. God allows suffering in our lives sometimes because we are so, think we are so strong. And he goes, okay, you really think you are? Let's let you walk through this. And then you realize, God, you're strong and I'm not. I want to show you because Paul begins to go and he, he in a sense, brags about the things that he boasts in his weakness. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Just go, keep your finger there in chapter 4, but I want you to go over to chapter 11, and this is what he's going to talk about. Chapter 11 and verse 24, we'll have it on the screen for you, and it's actually in your notes as well. It says this. This is, this is Paul now bragging about the things that he is weak in. We like to brag about the things that we do well. I'm awesome at this. I'm awesome at this. I'm great at this. Paul's like, I'm terrible at this. I did bad at this. I'm... Okay, and so this is what he says. Look at, look at his kind of repertoire of, of what he's been through. Paul says, five times I've received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, lest one. Can I let you know this? Jesus received that once. Paul received it five times. Three times I've been beaten with rods. Once I've been stoned. That's not drugs. Um, Three times I was shipwrecked. Okay, I, here's the deal. You know, when I read this, I sometimes laugh. Okay, if you are on a, let's put this in modern day vernacular. You're on a plane. The plane goes down. Okay, you survive out of it. Do you get back on a plane? I'm like, no, I'm done. I'm taking train. All right, train from here on out. But he gets on a boat and it shipwrecks once. Okay, stupid me. Shipwrecks twice. Really stupid me. I get back on a third time. Three times he's shipwrecked. You got to think every time he gets on a boat, like, is it again? going to happen again. Three times I was shipwrecked at night. A, a night and day I was adrift floating in the sea. On frequent journeys, I was, uh, here, here's some danger stuff. You, you think you got some issues? Some, some dangers. He was danger in rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers from my own people. Come on, that's bad. You got your own people going after you. Dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at the sea, danger from false brothers. This brother's in danger. I don't, I don't know if he left anything out. Okay? He's danger all over. And then look, look what he says. Danger from false brothers. Verse 27. In toil and hardship through many a sleepless night. His brother could not get him some Lanesta. He needs some sleep. He's hungry. He's thirsty. He's often without food. He's cold and exposure. And then, oh, yeah, and just on top of all that, apart from other of these, all these, there is daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. On top of everything that's going on, all these churches I've planted, I'm, I'm anxious about them too. But this is what he says, and this is what you got to get. Who is weak and I'm not weak? He's kind of bragging about that. Oh, you're weak? Let me show you. I'm weak. Who's made to fall and I'm not indignant? And here it is. If I'm going to boast... I'll boast of the things that what? 
show my weakness. In our society, I'm going to just tell you how this is. When we go through suffering and go through hard times, you know what we do? Make sure we keep our sleeves down. How's things going? Oh, good. I'm good. You know what Paul does? How's things going, Paul? Here, you know what? Let me show you. You know how things are going? See this? Hey, see this? You see this? You see this? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's how it's going. But Christ is enough, and he's good, and he's strong on my behalf. And we pull it up. See, when we go through suffering, we hide. When Paul went through suffering, he talked louder. He said, hey, I'm hurting, but God's good. Some of you need to walk in here and you go, hey, how you doing? It's been a hell of a week, but Jesus is good. Jesus is good. Come on, can we be, isn't this the truth? We can roll up our sleeves and go, I'm hurting. I'm hurting. Why do we feel like we got to go in hiding when we're suffering? Something bad happens and we go into hiding. Why do we go into hiding? In the hiding, God doesn't get glory. In the public display of that, God gets the glory. Because guess what? They go, why are you so joyful? Because I know you're going through hell. And you go, because it's not about my strength, but Jesus' strength. He's strong on my behalf. Now, there's always, and I'm not saying this, there's always a time for mourning. I know some of you are going through losses and I'm not saying that you got to be all happy giddy when there's loss. Come on. We've cried some tears. We've had painful nights. There's days and weeks where I just don't want to talk to people. Pastor Bill was like, man of God, is everything okay? You're kind of quiet. There's just times I don't want to talk to people. But I can't stay there. You can't stay there. You have to eventually come out and let your scars be seen. Because in seeing the scars, people see how good God is through you. Because you know what? When we do this and we hide all this, you know why people don't want to come to church? Because they see this. This is what they see. They see a bunch of people when they lift their hands like this. They don't see any scars. Man, I'm like, look at this. You see this? And guess what? When we come to church, we all, this is the best, best news ever. This is why it's good news. You come to church because you're a wreck. And you need Jesus just as much as I do. That's the beauty of the cross. The beauty of the cross is that you're not strong. You're a failure and you're a mess up. And so we come into here because we brag about Jesus, not about us. We go, it's rough. It's been a hard week. Or maybe it's been a great week. But yet again, it's been a great week because of the favor of God on my life. So suffering allows us to see God's strength in the midst of our weakness. You want to see the proof of God's purposes in your life? Show me your scars. Number two, suffering exists for my good and God's glory. Suffering exists for my good and God's glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, now let's go to verse 10. It says this, through suffering, through suffering, through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, yes, we live under constant danger. Of death because we serve Jesus, so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. So we live in the face of death 
But this has resulted in eternal life for you. But we continue to preach because we've had the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God, who raised the Lord Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and present us to himself together with you. And listen to this. All of this, okay, all of this dying and all of this death and all of this suffering, look at the reason for it. Look, verse 15, all of this is for what? I read that, and I said, God, you would allow my son to have a life-threatening disease for other people's benefit? And you know what he told me? Yep. You bet I would, because here's the truth. Well, we'll get to that in a minute. We'll get to that in a minute. I've got to keep that in my pocket. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace, God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive what? More and glory. As God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving, and God will receive more and more glory. But the beginning of this verse says he'll receive more and more glory through what? Go back to the verse, the verse right before that. Through the first words. Through. Through what? God will receive more and more and more glory through suffering. We get disappointed. I'll, I'll tell you why a lot of times this this. It's hard for us to play out in our minds that this could actually happen. God could use our suffering to get more glory. God could use suffering for our good. We don't understand that. I'll tell you why you don't understand that. It's because we get disappointed with Jesus when his plans don't always match up with our plans. This was my plan. My plan was to have this many babies. My plan was to have this job and then move up into this job. And then my plan was to have this kind of house and this kind of place. And then when that doesn't happen, you get upset. Why? Because it was your plans. It was your plans. And God's ways are so much higher than your ways. And guess what? God's perspective is so much higher than your perspective. So you're walking through something. Of course you don't see it. You're not God. And if you had any wisdom of what God had, your mind would explode (laughs) to know how God is orchestrating good things and evil things and bad things and still orchestrating in such a way that at the end he gets all the glory for it. That is something only God can do. And that is something that only God knows. We, and that's where it just comes. We just trust that God, according to Romans 8, 28, is working all things out. He's working all things out for our good and for his glory. He's working it out. Death or divorce or disease or debt or distress or depression He's working through all these things to produce something in you, ultimately for your good and for his glory. And I can tell you, there are weeks where I go, God, I don't see how any of this is for our good. And then God just reminds me, he's pulling stuff out of me. He's pulling it. He's pulling those things. Because it's ultimately for our good and for his glory. Suffering and the gospel, they go hand in hand. Y'all remember how the New Testament church got started 
It's so crazy. Paul was persecuting the New Testament church, so the church ran, and it just began to spread. And the crazy thing is the man who started the New Testament church by killing them was also the man who God turned around, flipped around, saved him, and used him to launch more churches. I'm preaching a lot better than you're responding. Do I have something in my teeth? Is there, we good? Because you're looking at me like, do y'all, do y'all see this? Paul persecutes and kills Christians. The church there suffers great distress. Children die, parents die. They spread out because they still have this gospel in Panama. So they spread out. They leave Jerusalem. They go to the rest of the world. And they start talking about Jesus. They spread Christianity all throughout the world. And then God radically, in the midst of all of that death, he takes Paul, saves him, and then now he's the leader of the people he scattered. Can that not be any more funnier? That God does that. God takes the person that started the church, but he started through suffering. He didn't even know that. But ultimately, God uses all things for his good, or for your good, and for his glory. And he's using all this, and we don't see it. And I'm telling you, if you, if you have to know why things are happening, you will always be frustrated. Your relationship with God will always not be right, because God does not have to give you an answer. You don't have to know why, you have to know who. And when you know who, you don't have to know why. That was good, all right. That was really good. I'll say it again because you need to write it down. You don't have to know why when you know who. You, okay, let's do it. God's central strategy for bringing salvation in the world was through the suffering of his son. And guess what? Now God's central strategy of proclaiming that word is through the suffering of his people. God brought salvation to you because his son suffered. And guess how you're bringing this good news to people who are lost? Through your suffering. People aren't impressed with Jesus when your bank account is full and all is great. People are impressed with Jesus when life is terrible and rough and hard and yet you still give God glory. Come on. So we can be real and honest. And if y'all know anything about this church, we're really real. Probably too real sometimes. Our wives, they don't like it sometimes. We're too wheeled up here. But we just want you to know that we, we suffer and we struggle just like you do. And we still depend on the Lord. How are we going to be able to share the good news if everything goes well for us all the time? It's only good news when there's bad news present. Number three, suffering is both momentary but meaningful. Suffering is both momentary but meaningful. Now let's go back to second. Corinthians chapter 4, and look in verse 16 and 17, and we'll put it on the screen. It says this, and this is the title of the message. So we do not lose heart. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light Momentary affliction, this is the verse Lindsay was referring to, is preparing. Underline that. Preparing. Preparing what? It's preparing for us, for you, and for me, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. 
So we don't lose heart. When bad things are happening in your life, be confident that God is for sure doing something in you. Notice I didn't say he's just doing something through you, which he is. He's doing something in you through this suffering. Suffering is light. No, it's not. Yeah, it is when you compare it to something. It's all based on what we compare it to. Okay? So our suffering, whatever you're going through, doesn't seem light because it's really heavy to you. But the truth is, if you would pull back and look at the bigger picture of what's going on, light and momentary, there's no way. There's no way. It seems like it's going on forever. This has been my entire life. That's the story of Paul. His entire life was suffering. Entire life was suffering. Like never a break. No vacation. No retirement. Always suffering. And he's the one who penned these words. This is light and momentary. Why could he say that? Because in span with eternity, it's nothing. In span with eternity, it's nothing. Is it momentary? Yes, because our, our life is like, whew, and then we will one day be with Jesus for eternity, and God will, well, we'll get to that. That's the good news. It's the good news. I want you all to see this. Suffering is momentary. It's not going to last that long. But beyond this, it is meaningful. Suffering is meaningful. It has meaning. It's doing something. Cancer or criticism, slander or sickness, death or disease. It's doing something in you. It's preparing you for something. What is it preparing you for? It's preparing you to be more like Jesus. That's what it's preparing. God uses suffering to make us look more like Christ. The Bible says we want to know the power of his resurrection and share in his suffering. We like the power and resurrection part. We don't highlight the sharing in the suffering part. But if we want to become more like Christ, God allows things to come into our lives to reveal things in our hearts. And this is where I'll be a little bit a lot more personal with the story of where we are with Joel. I'm going to tell you, God's done more trudging in my soul and my heart through this past 10 months than ever in the history of my life. And that is because he's used suffering to reveal my selfishness. I think, man, I, don't, I have no time for myself. I'll sit sometimes in pastor's meeting and go, man, I'm just tired. Lindsay and I are just tired. I come home from all day working from five, working up to five or six o'clock, come home, and literally it's want to play with my kids for a little bit. We go into dinner time, and then we go into full-on everything that Joel needs time from there. Bath takes an hour almost. Medicines take an hour. We got to clean everything. Everything's thorough. We got to do all this stuff. And by the time Lindsay and I usually hit the bed every night, it's 10 30, 11 o'clock. I'm already tired at five o'clock. I come home at 10 30, 11. Do you know there's a lot of flesh that rises up in that time? I'm tired. And she looks at me and goes, I'm tired. <laughs> I go, we both tired. <laughs> Can we like tap out? Where's our nanny? <laughs> no nanny. And there's times where I get frustrated and mad. And there's times where I want to be like, but such and such gets to do, go do stuff. And I got to stay here. And you know what's happening in all that? God's exposing my life. He's exposing my heart. He's exposing my motives. He's exposing my uncompassionate side towards my wife when she calls and she's crying. And I'm like, just suck it up. I know you look, don't look all like uprighteous at me. You've said it to your wife too. You're like, how dare you? Every man in here, you know. If you haven't said it, you've done the face. Like, suck that up. 
It's like your kids. I'll give you something to cry about. Because my default mode is if I can't figure it out and I can't do it, I'm just like, I'm, I'm laid back with it. Like, just, who, what does it matter if we freak out about it? We can't do anything about it. So that's kind of my mode. And it's not good either way. But my wife's mode is let's try to try to figure this out. If she doesn't, then I'm very much a figure-outer. But if I can't, I just get to a place where I'm just like, forget it. And, but what ends up happening is I detach my heart and I just become uncompassionate as well. And then I say things to my wife that I have to go back at night and go, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't realize it's been one of those kind of days for you. Suffering has allowed us to understand that it's not only momentary, but it's meaningful. I'll, I'll, I'll give you real quick, and we don't have to go there, but the story of Jesus when he sends his disciples over to a boat to go to the other side, and the Bible says that Jesus goes up to pray. In the midst of that, there's a storm that goes on. Y'all know this? The boat's rocking all over the place. And the Bible says that Jesus is praying, and he knows who sent them on the boat. Jesus. They were just obeying Christ. They got in a boat, going to the other side. Jesus knows there's a storm. In his praying, the storm's going on. His disciples are ah! all freaking out. And the Bible said, this is so funny. Just read your Bible. It's like a comedy. Jesus <laughs> walks on the water, and the verse says he intended to walk by them. Like, mm. It's like, mm. okay. So here's the thing: Why didn't God stop it? You know why? He was going after the disciples' hearts. He's going after their hearts because he said the Bible says when they looked out and they said, "Oh, who? What?" They're like, "Is that a ghost? What's going on here?" And then all of a sudden, they recognize it's Jesus. Jesus comes and he gets in the boat, and as soon as he gets in the boat, he says, and he goes, but Jesus could have done that from the mountain. Couldn't he have? Yes, he was over all of creation at that time. He can do whatever he wants. He could have just said, all right, come be still. So if he was after their comfort, he could have just said, be done. But he wasn't after their comfort, he was after their hearts. And so he let them walk through some of the hardest times if they thinking they're going to die, and then them seeing that if Jesus is in the boat, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He is our peace and he's our refuge and he's our hope. And he's going after your hearts too. And sometimes he allows suffering to be able to do that because blessing and prosperity hasn't gotten your heart. I'm saying, God, bless me and expose my heart. Don't, don't hurt me to expose my heart. Bless me. And I'll be like, God, oh, thank you. But undoubtedly he, undoubtedly, he uses pain and he uses suffering to expose those areas of our heart. And then we get to come before the Lord and repent of those things and make those things right. And you know what happens when you do that? You become more like Jesus. And that's the best part. It's the best part. Look at Romans 5.3. Romans 5.3 says this. Not only that, but we rejoice. We rejoice in our sufferings. What? Okay. Uh, did he, what's going on here? We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that sufferings are what? They're, what is that next word? Producing, okay, so suffering is not only momentary, it's also meaningful. It's doing something. Look what it's doing. What is it doing? It's producing endurance. And guess what endurance is producing? It's producing what? Come on, character, your heart, who you are. And character, guess what character produces? Hope. And guess what hope does? 
It doesn't put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. How does the Holy Spirit get poured into our hearts when we rejoice in suffering? Let's go all the way back to the beginning. Rejoicing in suffering. In the middle of rejoicing in suffering, we see that we're producing endurance and endurance is character and character is hope. And hope ultimately is overflowed with the Holy Spirit giving us peace and trust in our hearts. Life of faith says this, I don't see it now, but I trust in the long term and in his timing. We are continually confessing a miracle over our son and healing over our son. But trust is this. Trust is not, well, God, when you do that, I'll trust you. No, trust is I don't see it, but I trust you. I trust you right now. I trust that you're working on our behalf. I trust that you are good. I trust that your glory is being shown throughout this. I trust you in the midst of that. It's easy to trust God when life's going good. It's hard to trust God when you can't see what he's doing and why he's doing what he's doing. And if he has to give you an explanation for it, then I'm telling you, it's going to just be a life of misery for you. Because a lot of times, sometimes God doesn't even give the revelation of why he even did it. I I think we're not even going to get to heaven sometimes and figure out, oh, that's why you did that. Okay. He doesn't owe you or I an explanation. You were saved by trusting in the Lord. Do you understand that? You're saved because you put your full trust and faith in the Lord. This is what I'm telling you. Do that with suffering. Do that with suffering. Put your full faith and trust in the Lord. See, we believe God saves us and that he's the one who does that. The problem, we think we do everything else from there on out. Thank you, God, for saving us. I got it from here. What? It's ridiculous. But somehow we take it back on us and we feel like we got a responsibility to do all that. Okay. There's coming a day, and this is, this is where we're getting into the good news and we're wrapping this all up. There is coming a day when evil and pain and injustice and suffering will be no more. And the day is coming when his glory will come and he will, re- be, he will renew and restore everything. God will come back and he will renew this world. It will be a new heaven and a new earth. And we don't get a consolation for the life that we lost. We get restoration for all that we lost. So if you had a baby that died, it's not consolation and God just mourns with you. He will restore that. Jesus comes not to just give consolation but restoration and renewal, and, and, your, and your decrepit body as you get older and things start breaking down, it starts, guess what, new body, no pain, new lungs. That's the hope that we have in Christ. And this is a hope that is unwavering because no matter if death or not, he still comes back and he still restores. And he makes all things new. And so we can walk around and walk through suffering because we know that. Last one, number four, suffering requires daily renewal and refocusing. Second Corinthians now, verse four and 16, let's go back to it. It says, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being, what is that word? Being renewed. It's being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Verse 18, it says, as we, what? Look, not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So what we have to do is we have to daily renew. Look, it says our inner self is being renewed what? Year by year, month by month, week by week. 
Day by day, guess what? Your car, it will not run with gas all, all, all the time. You got to fill it up. Your body, you need food. Some of you are thinking about it right now as I'm preaching. Because your body's not designed to not live without food. And the same is with your spirit. Your spirit needs renewal every week. The bucket leaks. Renewal means something runs out. You only have to renew something when it expires or runs out. Just like your driver's license. You got to renew it. Okay, your bank account, it needs renewal. It needs more money because your wife keeps spending it. And No, she doesn't. You keep spending it is the truth. And your wife's like, chill out. Stop buying. You don't need that ATV. Okay, I'm getting off. All right, so. But it needs renewal. It needs something to replenish it and replace it. And this scripture says that we have to day by day renew our minds. Lamentations 3, you don't have to go there, but it says this. The mercies of the Lord are new every morning. Guess what that means? That the mercies of God expire every day. At the end of the day, those mercies are expired and you need new ones. You need new mercies every day. You need new grace every day. New hope. New life. Not losing heart is profoundly connected to not losing truth. The way you renew your life is you renew your mind. Because if you renew your mind, what you think about is what dwells in your heart. What dwells in your heart is the mouth speaks, the actions move. So some of you go, I despise the way that I talk and what I do. Change your heart. When you change your heart, change your mind. Romans 12, 2 says, to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You put truth where lies are. You put hope in life where death and anxiety are. You put peace. You speak this word over your life, and you say, God, I believe you. I trust you. You are good. Not losing heart is profoundly connected to not losing truth. As soon as you lose truth, you will lose heart. You lose truth, you lose heart. Telling you, it's going to happen. Let me wrap it up with this and I'll show you. Most people look at the gospel, they look at this good news of who Christ is through the lens of what they're going through. So imagine we have the gospel here and we have suffering and what we're going through here. Most people look at the gospel and look at the goodness of God through what they're suffering. So what they say is, because I'm going through this, because I'm doing this, because this is happening to me, because this is, this is in my life, that must not be good. That good news must not be really true. God must not really exist. But the truth is, is that Paul looked at things differently. He came over here to the gospel and he said, God's good, God's trustworthy, God is holy, God is taking care of me. Ultimately, everything that comes in my life is for his glory. And he comes and he puts those glasses on and now he sees that totally different. He sees the suffering in our life totally different. Some of you are having a hard time seeing suffering as good because you're looking through the lens of suffering and you're not looking at it through the lens of the gospel. The gospel is that he has hope in life for you and that he's worthy of trust. And the reason that he's worthy of trust is because of these two things. Let me tell you, the two things why he is worthy of all of your trust is one, because Jesus is sovereign. That means there's nothing, nothing, and I know I say this and some of you have had the worst hurts in your life, but there's nothing that you have gone through that Jesus was not over, that he didn't have control of. Nothing. And that's hard sometimes for us to swallow because we've been through some really hard, painful things. 
But there's nothing in our lives that God has not had his control over. He, he's always working things out, as Romans 8.28 says. For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those called according to his purpose. So we know we serve a God that we can trust because he's sovereign. He's working all things out when we can't see it. But the last thing is this, and this is the most important part. Jesus is not only sovereign, but he has suffered. Jesus has suffered. God came into the world himself, and he actually suffered with us. God used his son Jesus' suffering to accomplish his people's salvation. Jesus lost all his glory so that you could be clothed in it. Jesus was bound and nailed so that you could be free. Jesus was cast out so you could come close. That's what Jesus did for you. Jesus is on the cross so that way he could say, when you're going through cancer, I know how you feel. A lot of people in your life can't walk up and you go, I know how you feel, but Jesus can. There's no one who's suffered greater than Jesus. There's no suffering you're going through that's greater than when Jesus went through. When your flesh is hanging on a cross, then you have the final word of suffering. And this is my challenge to you. Don't lose heart. Take truth. Preach them to you. Preach this word into your mind until your heart sings with confidence that you are new and cared for and loved for because Jesus took away the only kind of suffering that will ever destroy you, and that is being cast away from God. And and Jesus took care of that. He draws you in, and he gives you new life. If we put our faith and hope and trust in him, then we never have to fear being away from him. He will always be with us. Just like the three men that were in the fire, he was with them. All throughout scripture, we see men and women who suffered and Jesus was with them. There is no suffering that we bear today that's worthy to be compared to the suffering that he bore on himself. Can we get our worship team up here? And I want to close with this uh, story in the Bible, the story of Jesus. After Jesus had died, he rose again. And there's a story of Jesus walking with two men on the road to Emmaus. There was these two men and Jesus had passed away and he appeared to these guys and they walked for seven miles And the Bible says that these two guys did not recognize that they were Jesus. And they were just talking to Jesus about all the things that had happened and about how this Jesus had died and how he was risen again. And the Bible says that Jesus went through on this seven-mile journey and began to walk them through from Old Testament to New Testament about how every verse pointed to him. He walked them through scripture by scripture by scripture, and the Bible says they still didn't recognize that was him. And so they invite him in to have uh, lunch with them or to come stay with them. And on their way to staying with them, they sit down for a, a meal. As they sit down for a meal, before they do, they do, Jesus does something. The Bible says that he takes the bread, he blesses it, he breaks it, and he gives it to the men. Scripture says that when he does that, they recognize that it's Jesus. And I always thought, well, uh, maybe they recognized it was Jesus because of all the stuff he suffered, because of all the things that, that he talked about. And then when he blessed it and broke it, they realized, oh, I've heard, I've heard this guy do this before. That's Jesus. But I just found this out this week. Listen to this. When a Jewish man would break bread for communion and, and then just for meals, he would grab the bread, he would raise it up to the Lord, he would pray over it and bless it, and then he would break it, and then he would give it to the men like this. What did they see? 
And when they saw the scars, they recognized, that's Jesus. And the Bible says he went, let me ask you this. Are you hiding your scars because of the pain you've been through, because you don't want people to know what you've done and where you've been and what's going on, because you're ashamed, because you feel guilt and you feel condemned. The Bible says that Jesus came to not bring condemnation, but to bring hope and life and to allow you to roll your sleeve and go, God, here's my pain. Here's my scar. Here's my suffering. And you know what Jesus does? He takes that on himself. He closes himself with your suffering and he walks with you through it. And he says, if you'll trust me, I'll be good for you and I'll work all this out for your good. But you've got to put full hope and faith and trust in me. And the issue that we have right now with many people is we haven't put faith and trust in him. We have it on ourselves. It's our power. It's our strength. And some of you are faking it. You want people to think you're strong and you're not. You go home and you're weak and you're depressed and you're tired and you're exhausted. And can I tell you, the good news of the gospel is that you can come into this place and let all that out and Jesus is not taken back by it. He welcomes it and embraces it and he makes you new and whole. If you trust in him, he's good and glorious. So will you stand with us and we want to I want to pray over you, but then we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to this. Our worship team's going to sing the song again that I asked them to sing, but I want us to, to pray. I want to give us a chance to minister to you today. The Bible says that you were wounded for, that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes, we are healed. Through the things that Jesus suffered, we receive all the goodness of that. And so I want to come today and I want to brag on how good God is and that he suffered. And so therefore you can walk through suffering. Do not lose heart. Trust in him. He's with you. He's with you. Father, we come to you today as a people that have been broken and battered and bruised because of sin that's in the world, maybe even because of our own sin. But God, I thank you that today even despite maybe our own sins that have brought this suffering on our lives, or whether it's been something that's just gone on in our life that was unexpected, I thank you, Jesus, that you can take all suffering and turn it out for our good, turn it out for your glory, and to make it meaningful, and that as a people we can walk into this place, God, and be open and honest about where we are and how life is, Because ultimately, at the end of the day, you're the only one who's good. You're the only one who's perfect. You're the only one who has strength and mercy and grace. And you desire to pour it out on each person here today. God, we thank you, Lord, that you are good and you are glorious. And we pray, God, that we would not lose heart. May we not lose heart. No matter what goes on this year, may we not lose heart. May we turn to Jesus Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace.